Sullivan testing the Portuguese. You know, I like to be fit and healthy, so the best way I know is to just get out there and run. Running was an outlet for me to, I guess, feel good about myself and, and take out some of the angers that were going on in my life. Sonny O'Sullivan is going to take the world title back to Ireland. Well, for the last year, I've been quizzing the greatest Irish track and field athlete of all time, Sonia O'Sullivan, about everything from diet, motivation, managing fatigue, planning, runners and training. And in the midst of all of that, we've had run dozens of club events. Well, maybe not dozens. We've done a load of club events with our Strava.com forward slash clubs forward slash Irishman Abroad Club. And we've even met up with the listeners for a run around Dublin Bay during the summer. A lot of you, myself included, have reached new levels with your running as a result. But still, there are questions. I have been dying to ask Sonia, but haven't got around to asking yet. And when I asked if the members of the club felt the same way, the answer was a resounding yes, as the emails and posts came flooding in to ask Sonia whatever you want. This is our Ask Sonia Anything episode. I think we're going to do one of these a year, Sonia. Are you ready for this? <laughs> yeah, I'm ready for the questions. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've been interviewed so many times over the years, like um, probably thousands of times. Like, were you always comfortable with it or did it take a while to relax into the idea that People have a real curiosity about you. Well, I think it depends, you know, when you do interviews for like newspapers and magazines and stuff like that, sometimes it can get a bit boring because, you know, people tend to ask the same questions over and over again. And they're mm. not very specific questions. They're not actually asking you questions where they're getting any information that would enlighten them <laughs> or give them, you know, an insight into what you actually do. Yeah. They tend to all go down the same track and say, okay, so when did you first start running? <laughs> <laughs> and what was the first race you ran? <laughs> and, you know, then you kind of get like, oh, God, I have to really think about this now. <laughs> Whereas if they just asked you about some training thing or, you know, what training did you do last week or what was the hardest thing you did last week in training? Mm. What was the easiest thing you did last week in training? You know, it's fresh in your memory and you can relate it to how you actually feel when doing the interview mm. then you pro they'd probably get a lot more out of you than you know delving into the depths of hell and <laughs> dragging out <laughs> yeah. yeah i think you it was know, rob heffernan that said this as well that uh, that that question of so when did you when did you realize you were good at athletics all of these questions as you say have been asked before and are well documented <laughs> it's always like the information is freely available. Why do you want it again? You must find yourself asking those questions sometimes in interviews where it's like, why do you want to know this? What's the weirdest thing that you tend to get asked? Um, I, I, I really can't think of anything strange. I mean, I'm sure I'm probably going to get a weird one today, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> I think because we've become close to the group and, you know, people feel like they can ask you anything. Mm. So I'll be expecting that today. But I really can't think of anything really weird. I mean, because everything, I mean, nothing is really off limits and everything is, I suppose, reasonable in a way. Mm. But nothing totally outlandish that you kind of think, no, I can't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. OK, well, we'll try and keep this as fun as possible. Fun has always been at the centre of this show and in many ways how it 
just kept going. I spent a lot of years scratching my head when I saw people out running the roads. I could never quite understand, you know, why are they doing that? <laughs> I'm sure I am the only one who spent a long time going. That, that, that just doesn't make any sense to me. But events like the Great Pink Run go a long way towards understanding the communal energy and goodness behind all of this. Thousands and thousands of people took part all across the world in the virtual event for Irish Breast Cancer Research this weekend. You did it in Cove twice, Sonia, all decked out in the pink. Uh, how did it go? So it was great. Well, I, I did it once for real. Like we did a proper run and um, a couple of people in the in the club, Lorraine and Terry, organized the slap of the island. Shout out Cove. to Terry. The Cove is on a great island, which mm-hmm. is attached by a small bridge at Belle Valley. So I, I would have done this lap many times when I was younger. It was like this was the big long run was to do a lap of the island. But there's lots of different variations of laps of the island. Yeah. So... We tried to create the official one this week. And, you know, I think that's what kind of got me involved was, you know, as well as it being, you know, tied in with the Great Pink Run was this run that was, um, you know, going to cover every road that wasn't a dead end that would take you around the island. So there was a couple of little diversions that you went down one road and you came up another. And and it actually made it very interesting. You went down this one small road in Ballymore, and then it came out at Marlowe Woods and back up and down and before you headed around the back of the island. And it was amazing when you're out the back of the island, um, this road called Pottery Road, which, you know, we only realised the name of it recently. And it's a bit, it's really quiet out there. You see, you know, one or two people, not very many cars. And then you come around to the front of the island and, yeah, there's quite a bit of traffic there then. So there's a bit of negotiation you know which side of the road you go on and how to be you know as visible as possible sure. um, and luckily it was it was early enough on Saturday morning we set off at around eight o'clock from my statue down in the centre of the town and um, <laughs> who gets to say know. that we started at my statue <laughs> oh, go ahead. and the aim was <laughs> and it, it's it, it, the aim is to finish back there and it's quite handy because the finish right in front of it there's a pedestrian crossing so it's like you know it's a, a ready-made finish line <laughs> and the, the distance was you know it was estimated to be anywhere between 13 and 15 miles we weren't sure and it turned it was exactly 15 miles so it was great it was great fun to have everybody out there mostly dressed in pink or some variation or attempt at being dressed in pink and um, so not everybody did the full lap but we had people join in along the way um, so then we had a fairly big crew by the time we got to the end and uh, had our had our pink picture at the end which was which was great and to be able to contribute you know a bunch of 15 miles to all the other people around the world who were thrown in their miles or kilometers that they did over the weekend um, to add to the, the grand total which I think saw everybody run a lap of the world pretty much uh, I um, know it was absolutely bye-bye, bye-bye. Uh, and you know the pink element to it was a bit of crack I have to say uh, seeing some of the pictures come in on the group uh, big shout out to Bernard Slowly in particular who wore went for the 2-2 option 
he even had the pink wig the pink afro wig on as well big shout out to bernard i have a few shout outs to do matthew Canelli last week in kawasaki japan ran his first marathon he said the last few kilometers were hard that's to be expected but he he really smashed it in a time of four hours 14 for his first marathon wanted to give him a big shout out a couple of others here that really stood out to me let's see um Elaine McHugh, who went to Amsterdam to do a half marathon, she she did it in the full uh, great pink run gear in a time of one hour 58. Fair play to you, Elaine. We've, we could go through so many of them. I made a list and then lost the list. <laughs> That's what happened. But you were seen. Congratulations to everybody who took part. I want to get to our first email right away. But before I do that, I want to say that I'll be back in Dublin this weekend, the 22nd, 22nd, 23rd. I'm going to be in the Laughter Lounge in Dublin for my first Dublin gigs in a long, long time. It's a, a regular night at the Laughter Lounge. Great to have crowds back. But I also thought, sure. We may as well do a bit of a meet up. I've set up the event in the Strava group, trying to get as many club members out on the Sunday morning meeting at the Phoenix Park Tea Rooms. And I just realised that there's this option there, uh, Sonia, on Strava that you can actually draw with the pencil, kind of your finger pencil, your own route. Uh, So I've done that. I've drawn the little arc of the loop that we're going to do, which is an 8K loop. You come down and you can either do one one lap with us or two. Either way, there will be coffee at the end of it and free Irish Man Abroad badges for everybody who takes part. That'll be Sunday, the 24th in the Phoenix Park. You'll be back in America by then. Is that right, Sonia? I hope so, yeah. I'm planning to go to um, fly to New York on Wednesday and then catch the train down to Philadelphia, down to Villanova. And um, link in there with some some friends, um, Marcus O'Sullivan and Gina Procaccio, who also happen to be the coaches of the Villanova men's and women's cross-country team. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to spend a bit of time with them and then head back out to Portland the, the following week. Perfect, perfect way into our first email, which comes from Tom Corcoran, who is really talking about the Marcus O'Sullivan episode. He says, hi, Charlotte and Sonia. I enjoyed the chat yesterday with Marcus. It's not valid to say that running is bigger now. It was much bigger in Ireland in the 80s uh, than it is now. This is reflected by the fact that we had so many world-class athletes back then. Marcus referenced the Relay Mile uh, world record set by the Irish athletes in 1985. I did some research before and the reason I was told for there being so many runners back then was that there were no gyms. People had less options. If you look at the records of long-held local races, the records are all from back then. So I guess the question is, was running bigger back then than it is right now, Sonia, in your opinion? Well, it depends on what you're looking at, I suppose. I mean, it was big. I mean, maybe it was better back then in the quality, Mm. I think, of the running was better overall. And the standards were much greater. Yeah. But I think the amount of people running now is much greater. Okay. And there's more people out there running at all sorts of levels. Whereas back then, there was a lot of good people running and, and only good people ran. Like if you weren't a like, good national standard runner, you generally didn't run very much. Hmm. You didn't see 
so many people out running on the roads. Like if I, any time I go out now in Cove, at any time of day or night, you're going to see at least one person running. Whereas when I was running in the 80s, there was about five people in the whole town ran. And everybody knew who those five people were. <laughs> yeah. You know, there was, there was like five people running on the roads anyway. I mean, there was probably people running at the club. There were some kids running and, you know, the GA clubs and football clubs, people were all running. But, you know, like people ran races. There was only about five. Amazing. And you, you could, you'd know the style of the person running. So you'd see them coming towards you up the road. And, um, you know, you'd be able to know who it was. And you'd probably know what time they were running at as well because they'd run at the same time every day. Um, <laughs> whereas now there's, you know, there's people running from the running club and from the triathlon club, people who are in the gym training. Some days they go and have a run. So, you know, every town has a lot more people running now than they ever did before. But I think back in the 80s, the 70s maybe, it was definitely more quality of people raced at a higher level mm. and people, you know, who were running were actually training to run, to represent their club and, you know, be part of a team. So I think in that level, yes, definitely it was better back then. And I think now people probably get more attention now for lesser. So it seems like there's better people now, but they're actually not that much, like they wouldn't be, at the same level as athletes back in the 80s and 90s and 70s, I suppose. Isn't that um, interesting? And maybe not as, maybe not as kind of, um, what do you say, like the, the names wouldn't be so familiar mm. now as they would have been back then either. I think athletes really stood out back then and they were household names a lot more than they are now. Yeah, big time. I mean, I just think that's fascinating, but also kind of it makes me like it feels less exclusive. I do know what you mean, that the you knew all the runners in your in your town <laughs> and a lot of people were a lot of them were viewed as madmen. You know, that guy's mad. He's always running. Oh, yeah, uh, because, well, it's they went so out, normal. You know, all, ran in all weathers as well. You yes. know, there was nothing to stop them. Yes. Whereas now people... If it's not a nice day, like today now, it's very grey and misty and doesn't look very nice out there. But it's actually probably not bad to go for a run. Um, but a lot of people would be putting it off today until maybe later in the day or they might go to the gym. You know, it would there'd be less people out running today now than on a bright sunny day. Yeah, for I, sure. Well, here's the thing, right? You mentioned club runners there. I'm at the moment I'm reading Paul Tonkinson's brilliant book 26.2 miles to happiness which i recommend to absolutely everyone we're going to have paul on hopefully soon uh, to talk about it Sign it's an incredible book but he you know in the early chapters says if you want to improve your running join your local club amy d uh, asks the same question should casual runners join a club or are they only for more serious people loving the show guys that's from Amy D. What uh, do you reckon? Yeah, well, actually, that's interesting. One of the girls who I was running with on Saturday when we were doing our lap of the island, uh, Lorraine Manning, and um, I think she's from Dublin, and she she lives in Cove. And um, she said when she first came living in Cove, she didn't know anybody here. And her mother suggested, she used to run when she was younger, and then she was cycling for a bit. And then her mother suggested, why don't you join, go back and join the running club? And 
And she said it was the best thing she ever did. Like that you just, it becomes your social outlet. You know, you meet people running and you go for runs or training with them. But then all of a sudden there's other little bits tied onto that. And you meet people who you can actually connect with because you have that one common thing is that you both run. And then that leads on to, you know, social activities as well. So, you know, running is not just about training, but it's also about the people that you run with. And some people like to run by themselves. But I think if you want to have running as an outlet into where you live and to be connected with the people around you, it's it's the perfect solution. Yeah, I mean, in the book, I'd never even thought about it. But Paul makes the point in this book, 26.2 Miles to Happiness, that you reach different a new level when you you're, there's the the social near pressure of you know keeping up with the group or just kind of well, we'll go again when if you were on your own there's absolutely no again uh, you're like I'm, I'm done and there's no no one saying to go again I just love the sound of it and I know I've been threatening to do it for a, a while but I think uh, might be the next phase of this that I give I give the St Albans striders a go and I let people know how it goes. A lot of questions on training flowing in, right? So maybe we'll start with Seamus McAteer, uh, OG friend of the podcast who also ran the Great Pink Run this weekend. Seamus asked a really good question and something I've been struggling with myself this week. Jared, hope I'm not bothering you with the question. Never, Seamus, for Sonia. I want to ask Sonia this week, what's her opinion on slow running for long runs? I'm reading up a lot about it and they're saying that running slower makes you faster, which obviously sounds like a paradox. Even the 80-20 rule, which you can probably explain, looking to train for the Dublin 2022 marathon. Would she recommend it slow running in training? Big hello to you both. Loving the banter every Tuesday morning. Good man, Seamus. Uh, sound man you are. What do you reckon, Sonny? What We've mentioned this before on the show, but maybe you can kind of clarify it. I think that's what Seamus is looking for. Is this is this idea that you can run slower to run faster? Does that hold any water? Yeah, well, I mean, most people probably do run too fast all the time. And then, you know, you're not going to improve if you're running in this kind of happy medium ground all the time. So you have to run slow and fast and then the greater the differential between the slow and the fast is that's going to help you to improve so if you don't run slow enough then you won't be able to run fast enough on your fast days because you'll be too tired so you have to hold back on the easy days so that you're able to really go for it on the hard days but then the thing is okay slow and fast are kind of arbitrary words aren't they Mm. like i mean one person's slow and one person's fast is quite different to another person's. So you need to determine, you know, what's slow for you and what's not too slow as well. I mean, Marcus, I remember Marcus, he's one of the few people who he used to do his long runs too slow. So most people, when they go and have these lactate threshold tests on a treadmill, they'll realize that they're doing all their long runs too fast. Whereas Marcus, he realized he was doing his too slow. <laughs> so he had to pick it up a little bit. <laughs> um, I mean, that must but, be a first. Very... Like you say, everyone seems to run the, like in, myself included, like I, I just struggle with, you know, going slow because it just, I don't know what it is. Like, it just feels, I guess it's more fun to go quicker 
and I guess you there's a part of you that thinks I want to make the most of this. How how do you recommend people, you know, cool their jets? Like, what do you tell yourself when you're trying to go at that slow pace that you've established is your slow pace? Well, I think, you know, your slow pace is what's comfortable to you and you're not pushing, you're able to talk. Like when I was running the lap of the island on Saturday, I went down to the statue and my intention was to just, you know, we were just going for a, a run around. But there was a few people turned up and they had on like alpha flies and <laughs> fast running shoes. And I was like, hang on a second. How come I didn't get this information that people are wearing racing shoes here? <laughs> I'm wearing tractors. <laughs> so your mindset is totally, you know, I wasn't thinking this is going to be a hard run. I was thinking this is just an easy run. So mm. then, of course, it became hard for me because it probably was a little bit too, the pace too was too quick for my mind. <laughs> so I mentally wasn't tuned into running faster. And that's the other thing with slow and fast running is it's a, it's a mental thing. So if you go out, like today now, I was, I was pretty sore after my run on Saturday. So Sunday, yesterday, was um, I was going for a bike ride then for recovery. But then a bit like joining your club, I linked in with the triathlon club because, you know, you get dragged around on the bike ride and like you could get dragged around on a run when you're feeling a bit tired. But this was the recovery cycle and um, <laughs> it, it was a lot harder cycle than if I went out by myself. Yes. But it was much more enjoyable because you were with other people and mm. you get more out of it. And that's the problem, I suppose, with running with a club and running with people all the time is that you lift a little bit more when you run with people. So I think for the slow running, there's two ways of doing it. One, you can run by yourself and you go out and you think, okay, this is going to be very easy today. I'm just going to get around here and I'm going to run for an hour. And that's probably what I'm going to do later on today at some point. And not think about how far you're going or the pace that you're going, even though eventually it will creep in and, you know, you'll get to the end of the run and it'll be an hour and it might be, you know, 11 kilometers and you think, oh, I really should do 12. <laughs> and you add it up a little bit. So, you know, you play with these numbers in your head, stuff like that. Um, but And then the other thing is you can run slow with people. So as long as you can run slow with people and, you know, you slow down for each other rather than one person is out there one step and mm-hmm. the others. And then you feel like you have to keep up and then all of a sudden, sudden you're kind of reaching a little bit too far on the run so then it's not a slow easy run so yeah. you, I think for a slow run you have to go out there thinking okay this is a recovery run I'm not really trying to get anything out of this run and I shouldn't be tired when I come home this should be like I'm going for a walk a social you know we're just going for a chat out here that's a really and, good and you do, one you, that's really good think of it as a, as a like that one resonates with me right away that thing of when I get back, I need to feel like good, not, you know, bollocksed. <laughs> I can't find yeah. a better word to describe it, but everyone knows feeling knackered at the end of it. You were saying the aim is to arrive back fresh as a daisy. Yeah, you shouldn't take anything out of you, an easy run. And there is benefit to that. Some people think that you have to feel like you've done something every time you go out the door, but you really don't because sometimes doing something is just getting out there and you know having the fresh air and 
you know, just being out there and coming back refreshed. It allows you to run at a level where you're not pushing yourself too much. You're not overextending the breathing and the muscles. And so it's just kind of getting the recovery process started so that then the next time you go out, you feel a little bit better and you might go at a slightly faster pace. Um, But you're still maintaining that kind of recovery. I have a bunch of questions that I really want to ask, but really, we've got so many to get through. I'm kind of trying to work through them in some kind of order that makes sense. So Connor Mooney is the one that makes sense next now that we're talking about training. So Connor says we talked a lot about heart rate training with Marcus and he's posing the question with heart rate training. Do we spend ages tweaking our heart rate zones so that we're absolutely sure a slave to the science or is it better to just have like a rough idea of where your heart rate zones are and just go with what feels right or as he says is there somewhere in between once again thanks Charlotte and Sonia love the show what do you reckon well I mean it's it's a good idea if you're going to, I suppose, zone in on the heart rate training, which I do sometimes, I quite like it, is to get a fairly definite idea of what your heart rates are. So in order to do that, then you need to do some kind of a test. And there's lots, you know, you can go the exact science and go and do heart rate or a treadmill test and they'll measure all this for you. Or you can go and run a race or a hard park run or I think there's like an eight minute test you can do and you run as hard as you can for eight minutes. It's kind of hard to do these things because they're kind of unquantified, you know, they're, they're estimates. Mm. But once you have a general idea of what your maximum heart rate is and then what's your threshold, then you have windows of these levels and you just stay within the windows. So, I think sometimes we can have too much detail and you try to be too exact about things. And the heart rate is such a very fluctuating thing that's affected by the weather. It's affected by the undulations of where you run, that it's not perfect anyway. And that's what you see a lot of um, cyclists have gone away from heart rate training and they do more power training and how many watts you're putting out. And Mm. that's a bit more defined I think in that way but the heart rate training is very effective because if you're feeling a bit tired and you're going out to do some kind of a session sometimes you can't get your heart rate up to where you need to be for a threshold not even not even a fast session so then you have to respect that and you have to think okay maybe I shouldn't be trying to do this session today because I'm not ready for it Hmm. and put it aside and then just do your run and then come back to it when you're ready for it. So that's a really good indicator from your heart rates. I mean, I've never been a slave to taking your heart rate first thing in the morning and determining whether I go for a run or not based on my heart rate. I think I'd rather go with what's on the training plan and then adjust it when you're out there, depending on how you're feeling. If the weather, you know, if you're running into a gale force wind, then it's very hard to you know, I suppose to measure your effort on pace because you're going to be working way too hard. Like the wind. 
So then that's when it's a really good idea to look at your heart rate and then try and get into the heart rate zone that matches what you're trying to do. So it's, it sounds like it's very scientific and detailed, but it's actually really simple to understand the heart rates. And once you get a feel for it, then you can actually do it without even looking at your heart rate. Yeah, you I, see I that, that the looking the at the heart rate is the bit that I find hard here in particular. Like, I don't know, how, do I look down at my watch all the time? Is there is there certain watches that will tell you what your heart rate is or give you a beep when you're where you need to be? Am I using the wrong watch? I don't I, I don't know how to keep an eye on my heart rate. Well, the heart rate, like we were talking about this on the weekend while running as well, you know. So even though we were running at a relatively high level for easy, we were still able to talk. And, I th- and you know, that's always a good indicator that you're, you know, not going too fast. But we were talking about sometimes you run with people and they're constantly looking at their watch. What the hell are they looking at? <laughs> it's like <laughs> the time, it's not changing. I mean, nobody looks at, you know, when you come from a background of you look at your watch to see what time it is and then someone keeps looking at their watch, you're like, what are they looking at? The heart rate, it can take a little bit of time to get up to the heart rate that you're aiming for. And so, you know, some people race out the door and get their heart rate up there straight away. But you're better off gradually getting your heart rate up there. And then once you hit the mark, then you go for your efforts from that point. And then, you know, you kind of get into this cruising mode and you know where you're at. So then you just kind of, you don't have to keep checking. You just kind of, you know assume that you're in the right heart rate if, as yes. long as you're not puffing and puffing too much and you're going around and you can feel that you're in control and this is if you're doing a threshold type of session which is where it's most useful for is that it's like you've got to the plateau or the like in the airplane you know you've taken off down the road yeah heart rates up. you're cruising altitude. So then you're at the cruising altitude yeah and then you come back down again and then you've got to get back up again. And so it's just this different variations in the effort that you're putting in that changes the heart rate. And it's, you know, you don't get too bogged down in the detail of it all. You go back to your, you know, after you've done, say, something like five times three minutes or six times three minutes with one minute rest. And that's a kind of a benchmark session. And you go back to your little data graphs and things like that. And, you know, you don't have to look at the detail too much, but just look at the picture. And as long as you can see these nice little mountains, you know, with recovery things, you know, so what would you say, like mountains and valleys, Mm. and they look very even and steady, then you're on the right track. And that's all I ever look at. I I remember I used to have a, a polar heart rate watch. And this is before you could connect it up to the computers and stuff very easily as we do now with the Bluetooth, you know, it's up there in seconds, you know, before you even walk in the door, it's up there <laughs> uploaded and there's people giving you kudos and, you know, other people see it before you see it. But back then I used to print it off and everything. And I'd have, I have some like training diaries with these sheets printed off. And I never really looked at the fine detail, but I love to see the picture of, you know, you were getting these like hills and valleys and nice and even. So you were able to get the heart rate up, but then it was able to drop back down again before you went for the next effort. Mm. 
I mean, this is the most thorough does that question. Make, does that make sense? Con no, absolutely. I mean, Connor Mooney really hit on a great one here. And also, Connor, if that doesn't answer your question, I don't know what will. What a thorough, thorough deep dive into this. We've an awful lot more to get through, including questions from Sarah Kelly Paulino on the mental side of things. We've also got Simon Egan, OG friend of the show, brother-in-law, uh, with a question about a calf injury that he's suffered and returning from such an in injury. We've uh, stuff on tendonitis, deep tissue massage and John Denver. No, jo Johnny Deaver, not John Denver, has <laughs> a question about how much, how many miles you need to do in preparation for a marathon. That's coming after the break. Join us on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad where I'll also be doing the lightning round with Sonia with some of the questions that, as I said, I've been meaning to ask for the past year but haven't got around to. My chosen charity partner is, as always, Jigsaw.ie. I'm still attempting to run 2,000 kilometres in the space of a year. I'm almost up at 1,800 at this point, so there's still time to go to idonate.ie and support the Irishman Running Abroad Challenge or give it a whack yourself. As I said, our next big event, virtual event, global event will be the Run in the Dark for the Mark Pollock Trust. Details of that are up in the group and then there'll be a meetup this Sunday coming at the Phoenix Park Tea Rooms to do an 8k loop or a 16k double loop if you fancy it. Brian Connolly is on sound. John Marr does the extra research. Sonia, we, uh, we will see you on the other side of the break. We'll also have to get your tip of the week as I feel you scramble to get the papers out and figure out what that's going to be. One of the keys to like maintaining your brain mass is pushing past that comfortable zone physically, you know, exercise-wise. Imagine, you know, a world where everybody could go out the door and engage in the kind of exercise that's going to make them more relaxed, more healthy, burn off stress, 